Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. James 4, this will be, lest God changes things tonight, this will be our final part in this series about what we understand as receiving more grace. Receiving more grace. We can receive more help from heaven. I have, uh, uh, again, a teaching I'm going to share with you from Dr. Barclay from the Holy Spirit Conference on Friday and Wednesday night. And then we're going to start a brand new series uh, this coming weekend. Uh, we're going to actually on Sunday start into a brand new series about healing, Jesus' name. I'm going to show you some things that maybe you've obviously seen before, but some things that you might not realize uh, that obviously could be going on to hinder your healing. God wants us well, aren't you glad? Yes. And so we're going to talk about that in Jesus' name. Praise God. I'm in James chapter 4. We're back to our foundation verses here. James chapter 4. If you're there, say amen. amen. This is what we've been talking about relating to this series in James chapter 4 as God gives us this promise about receiving more grace. Written to believers who were born again. In James chapter 4 verse 6 he says, But he, speaking of God, he gives what? What does he give? Grace. Tell me out loud please. He gives more grace. Say, I want some. So he gives more grace. Therefore he says, relating to that, God does what? Resist the proud. But who's he give this grace to? The humble. How'd you get born again? How'd you get born again? Grace. Heaven's help. You didn't do it. You put your faith in Jesus. Was it your responsibility to get yourself born again? No. It was your responsibility to put your faith in Jesus. And then God did the work to get you born again. Receiving more grace is no different. It's not your responsibility to try to figure out how to get these things to work in your life. God will work them in your life. Your job is to simply get humble enough to receive it. If you get humble enough to receive what he offers, guess what you get? Heaven's help. Now, I want to remind you, heaven's help is not something of the natural. Heaven's help is not some natural thing you get. God's a supernatural God. Just like we sing about tonight, what's impossible for him? Nothing. Nothing. What's our part? Believe. Believe. So here he tells us in the following two verses, 7 and 8, how we walk in Bible humility. God's not going to tell you that he gives more grace to the humble without telling you how to be humble. And so he tells us, verse 7, Therefore, because he offers this additional help, do what? Submit to God. And in doing so, you are resisting the devil. And what will he do? I still think a lot of Christians are kind of waiting for some guy to show up, you know, with you know, red horns and a pitchfork before they actually start resisting him. But the truth is, the devil comes as an angel of light, the Bible says. You and I simply don't need to, fo- we don't need to focus on trying to figure out the devil. We just got to focus on doing what? Submitting to God. So number one, to stay humble and receive more of God's help, if you want it, what do you got to do? Submit to God. Now this relates to what the enemy does to try to trick us, to deceive us, take advantage of us, mislead us. How does he do that? He does that through trickery, through what the Bible calls literally the schemes or the wiles of the devil. Meaning what? He tries to convince you that you're really something you're not. You know what you need to stop doing? Claiming who God says you're not. 
well, I'm just stupid because look what I do. No, God didn't say you're stupid. God said you are obviously as an heir of God, joined heir of Jesus. Was God stu- is God stupid? Is Jesus stupid? Then you're not either. Tell your neighbor you're not stupid. Now, you could be ignorant. That's not good. Ignorant means you lack understanding. You just don't know. You don't know what obviously you need to know. But stupid, man, you're not in Jesus' name. So realize to submit to God again, we're going to just walk through these because this is our last time in the series. To submit to God means I accept and agree with God in every area where he tells me who I am, what I have, and what I can do. The moment you're born again, you're a new creation. Well, I'm not. Well, then if you're not born again, get born again. But the moment you get born again, guess what you become according to the Bible? A new creation. You become more than a conqueror. You become God's very workmanship. You are the quote-unquote, as he declares it, you are the victorious ones, not the victim. You're the victor because of what Jesus did. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy people set apart to your God. So you have to start agreeing with God. In, in relationship, again, to salvation, this ain't hard to figure out. A lot of people just look at submission there as what we do in the natural, uh, included. I mean, but the point is, you got to focus, first of all, on agreeing with who God says you are, what God says you have, what God says you can do. So this ain't hard to figure out. To get to, for somebody to get to a place to receive salvation, what do they got to do? Agree with God. They got to agree that they have a need for it. There's a lot of people don't think they need salvation. Well, guess what they're never going to get in relationship to God? Heaven's help to get them born again. But if they acknowledge that I'm in need of salvation, and then they just simply do what? What the Bible says to receive it. They just by faith receive it as a gift from God. Guess what they get? Supernatural help to change their life on the inside. And, and literally, the first miracle that ever happens in your life is salvation, to be born of God, born again. So, one, we got to submit to God. In doing so, what are we doing? Resisting the devil. And then number two, verse 8, he said to do what? Draw near to God. What will he do? So how do I know, church? Come on. How do I know if I'm drawing near to God or not? I'm aware of his presence. He's a person. God's a person. God's not an it. God's not a book. You listening? This is God breathed. It's God inspired. But, but this isn't, quote, this book is not God. God's a person just like you. And you can be aware of his presence. Now, the moment you get born again, his presence comes to dwell in you. His presence comes to live inside you. What a blessing that we can now have the presence of God everywhere we go. This is why he says to the believer, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm there with you every single day, every moment of every day. But God, listen, that would be like example. Think about in the natural, if I was around somebody all the time, but literally had no awareness of them being there, then there's no relationship. There's no ability to get help from them. There's no ability to get understanding from them, right? See, a lot of people are missing out on the help from God because they're not biblically drawing near to him to the degree that they can now know and sense his presence is there. That he is with me. And we already taught how to do that. But understand this. This is critical. Bobby humility. If you want God's help, what do you got to do? Draw near to him. Pretty obvious. If I want to get God's help, I need to draw near. But if I obviously do that biblically, what am I going to know? He's with me. Did you know just knowing he's with you is a huge help from heaven? To know that the presence of God is with you. To know that you're not alone. It saddens me to know how many Christians, born-again people, literally feel like they're alone and desolate on this earth. But I'll tell you why. They're not biblically drawing near to God. 
They're not experiencing the presence of God. I gave you the example. Remember, I had Claire stand up in the back of the room. And if it was a room full of people, right, I, wouldn't, I may not be aware of her presence if I couldn't see her. Right. And in the, in the context of the spirit, you don't see God. But if I took the time that somebody told me she was there to draw near to her, as I got closer, guess what I would all of a sudden become? I would be aware of her presence, that she's now here. Amen? Amen. So if you draw near to God biblically, you're going to know he's near to you. Amen? The third thing you can do, obviously you need to do to stay humble, cleanse your hands, you what? So this isn't just saying you must do everything you need to do to get sin out of your life from your own strength and ability. If you could have done that, you wouldn't need Jesus to be born again. So how do I get heaven's help here? You've got to take the same view of sin that God does. You cannot say a relationship to things of the Bible contrary to what Scripture teaches. Well, I know others say that that's a sin. What's sin? Just missing the mark. Well, I know others say that, but that's not the way I see it. So as long as you see it differently than God, guess what God clearly cannot do in that area of your life? Help you out. Why? Because you don't think you got a problem. You don't even think it's an issue. Think of how many Christians are living in sin today. And the reason God can't help them out is because they don't think they're in sin. They don't even think they have a problem. So it's not about what you're doing. Come on. It's about your attitude, your focus of what clearly the Bible teaches us we need to get out of our life with the help of God. With the help of God. I said with the help of God. God's the one that helps us get free from it. I love the fact the Bible says Jesus came to deliver us from our, you ready? Sins, plural. It didn't say sin, referring just to the sin nature. He didn't want to just get you born again. He came to deliver you from the stuff to hurt your life. What do I got to do? I got to view it the same way God does. To cleanse my hands of sin, I need God's help. To get God's help, I got to see this the way God does. And if I do, then I'll reach out to him. And guess what? He'll help get me free. So we've got to cleanse our hands from sin relating to how we see it. I gave you the example again this morning. It's not as big of an issue to God as to what you're doing as to why you want to do it. Why do you want to do it? Why do you want to live in a sinful lifestyle that the Bible's clear about is going to hurt your life? You listening? I mean, even in relationship to what we know about the aspect of homosexuality, right? Where have all these aspects of harmful, you know, diseases and things come into the world in many cases in relationship to people's lives as it relates to stuff that's killed them, HIV and stuff. Where'd that come? Homosexual relationship. Why? It's dangerous. It's destructive. It's harmful. Well, they should be able to love anybody they want. Well, they can. I said they can, but that don't mean they're going to get heaven's help in the midst of what they're doing because clearly they're violating what God says is right and therefore it's going to hurt their life. And as long as they don't see that, guess what they're not going to get? Heaven's help. Just a little side note on that. I was talking to a a pastor there we were talking to about, I've told you this story many times about a guy I worked with at 700 Club who came out of that lifestyle. You don't get a person out of that lifestyle by going and addressing that lifestyle. A person who sees no problem with that lifestyle, I can almost absolutely, very minute chance that maybe this may not be true, but I can almost absolutely guarantee you they're not born again. To be living in such a lifestyle and not be convicted at all, I guarantee you they cannot truly have in relationship to most of knowledge of Jesus Christ. So this friend of mine that I work with now out of that lifestyle said, you know what, nobody that got me free addressed that lifestyle in my life. The ones that tried to, I wanted nothing to do with. But a friend of mine started talking to me about the sin nature on the inside of my heart. You know what causes people to do those things? The sin nature on the inside. Get rid of the root of the problem. 
And guess what goes with it? The problem. And when he got born again, when a guy told him about salvation and what Jesus had to offer, he gave his life to Jesus. Guess what? He was living with the guy. Two days later, he moved out. Nobody told him. Convicted in his heart. Said, this is horrible. This is wrong. It's not what I need to be doing. So we got to take the same view God does because we got to ask ourselves the question, if God says it's wrong and I want to do it, you need to ask this question, why? Why do I want to do it? Because all it's going to do is hurt your life. But if I'll begin to say, you know, God, I know this is not right. I'm asking you for help. Guess what you're going to get? That's exactly what you're going to get. Help from heaven. I said help from heaven. The last one, number four, four things to walk in Bible humility. The fourth one is right there at the end of verse eight. Purify your heart, you what? Double-minded. So we started talking about this this morning. Now remember, all these are relating to believers. This won't help a sinner. A sinner needs to get born again first. But once they get born again, they can get more of God's help. This is talking to people who are born again to get more of God's grace to help their life. So what is the issue with the double-minded person here and a heart that needs to be purified? Well, back up to James 1 again. Because before he got to this in James 4, he literally told us in this letter in James 1 what this double-mindedness was all about. What are we purifying our heart from? Let's see who listened this morning. Huh? Doubt. What we're purifying our heart from is doubt. If I literally walk by faith as the Bible teaches, not doubting in my heart what God says, what am I going to get? I'm going to get heaven's help. I'm going to get heaven's help. If I, another way to say it is if I walk in Bible faith, well, how do you do that? You can't doubt in your heart. If you don't doubt in your heart, guess what you're going to get? Help from heaven. Your faith is going to put God into operation in your life. It's a spiritual law. People say, well, why is it set up that way? I'll guarantee you what, if God didn't set it up that way, you would have had to earn it. You would have had to find a way to earn it. You don't. All you got to do is have belief in what God said. So realize this is not hard to figure out. What are we purifying our hearts from? Doubt, as you're about to see in James 1. So this double-mindedness is what produces doubt. James chapter 1 he says here in verse 5, we'll read the rest of the verses tonight too. My brother, encounter all joy when you fall into what? Various trials. Who's he talking to in this letter? Brethren, believers. Knowing, verse 2, that the testing of your faith does what? What does it do? What does it do? It produces patience. What's patience? Perseverance. Your faith is going to get tested as a believer. You're not going to live on the planet. You're in a war zone. You're in a spiritual war zone. You're not going to live in the planet and not go through spiritual warfare. You're in a war zone. Why do you have armor? I was talking to a guy the other day, you know. I said, you understand you're in a war zone? What do you mean I'm in a war zone? I said, if you don't understand that this is a battle that you're going through, uh, let me ask you a question. Why does Ephesians 6 tell you you have all this armor? You don't need armor if there's no battle. I said, the cool part about it is it's not your armor. It's God's. God gave you what you needed to put on. But understand this. This is so powerful to understand this. He said that when your faith gets tested, how does your faith get tested? I'll tell you how. Your faith is going to get tested by the devil trying to get you, as you're about to see this, to be double-minded. If he can get you double-minded, guess what he's going to create? How many of you learned this this morning? What's he going to create? He's going to create doubt. He's going to create doubt. A lot of people say, I need more faith. No, the truth is most of us don't need more faith. We need to get rid of the doubt. And how do we get rid of the doubt? We get rid of double-mindedness. God gave you the measure of faith. And the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4, you have the same spirit of faith. 
same spirit of faith as what God has, Jesus has, disciples had, etc., etc. A lot of us don't have a faith problem. We have a doubt problem. The doubt cancels it out. The doubt annihilates it. Where does doubt come from? Double-mindedness. Purify your hearts. Cleanse your heart of what? Doubt. Those of you that are living double-minded. So if we get rid of the double-mindedness, what goes with it? Doubt does. If doubt goes out, what do we get? Help from heaven. Because now we're walking by faith, not by sight. It's easy to tell people walk by faith, not by sight, but if they're still double-minded, guess what? They're going to walk by sight. Doubt's going to creep in. So notice this. He says this testing of your faith, verse 3, you still with me? This testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Let that perseverance have its perfect work. So in other words, when you're in faith, guess what you don't do? You don't get out of faith. You stay in faith. You continue to do what faith does. Trust in God that you may be perfect, come on, and complete, lacking what? What will you be lacking? What a promise. What a promise. Lacking what? Nothing. Nothing. How in the world can I become perfect, complete, lacking nothing? I'll tell you how. By getting rid of doubt, which is a result of double-mindedness, and therefore you'll have heaven's help working in your life. You won't lack. I said you won't lack. God said so. Verse 5. If any of you, I know some people think this is too good to be true. I'm just reading the Bible, folks. If, if any of you lacks wisdom, so now he says if you actually lack what? The true knowledge or understanding or the nature of something, what should you do? Ask of God. Ask of God. If you're dealing with the problem, guess who has the answer? Guess who knows what you're really dealing with? You could be dealing with a problem, looking at something, you think you know what's causing the problem, and you know what? You may be totally wrong. But guess who does know what's causing the problem? God does. So he says if you lack this wisdom... A true nature of understanding what's going on. Let him ask of God who gives to how many? Tell me please. All. All, What? Liberally. Meaning what? He's not holding back. And he does it without reproach. Reproach means it's not based on you earning it. Not based on whether you have or haven't done what's right to get wisdom from God. You just simply ask in faith and guess what he does? He gives it. He gives to all without reproach. Listen, and it will be. Say it will be. It will be given to him. Now, this context alone, just in this one verse, if I get wisdom from God, what do I have? The true nature of something. In that help from heaven, I now have something I didn't have before. Where'd that come from? God. How did I get that? I had to have faith. As he's about to tell you, I had to do it in faith. Look at verse 6. When you ask for this wisdom from God, what do you got to do? Ask in faith. Watch, underline this, please. With no doubting. With no doubting. Because if you doubt, guess what? Your faith is now being violated by the doubt in your heart. And therefore, God can't function in that realm. God cannot help you. So ask with, in faith with no doubting. Watch. For he who doubts is like what? He's a wave, like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by what? So really, a double-minded person is being far more affected by what they see by what they feel, by what's going on in the natural, than what God said. This isn't hard to figure out when you start thinking about this as it relates to God's grace. I can't get help from God if I, when, when I don't choose to understand this and get double-mindedness out of my life and I still have doubt, I hear what God says, my mind knows to believe it, but my heart still questions it or my heart still doubts it, guess what I'm doing? I'm literally causing God to be hindered in working in my life. 
I'm stopping him from working because I can't doubt and receive from God. Doubting means I don't really believe what you said in your heart. If you don't doubt, guess what? You believe what he said. If you believe what he said, it don't matter what you face. It don't matter what you look at. Guess what you are believing and looking at? The word of God. You're not looking at anything else. I said you're not looking at anything else. So you got to ask in faith. In this case for even relating to wisdom. No doubting. He who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Seven. For Listen. For let not that man suppose. What man? The one who doubts in his heart. Let him not, let that man, notice this, let that man, uh, let not that man suppose that he will what? Receive anything from the Lord. Because he's what? Double-minded and unstable in what? All his ways. If you're double-minded, it produces doubt. If you have doubt in your heart, it will literally violate the law of faith. God can't help you. If you think that's a hard way to do things, let me help you. He really made it simple. Because all he's asking you to do is to believe. Trust him. Believe what he said. Not earn it. Nope. See, religion teaches you you got to earn it. Religion teaches you you got to prove to God that you're worthy of him to heal you, deliver you, set you free. That's what religion teaches you. Man-made. There is a good religion too, the Bible teaches. But the man-made religion teaches you you got to earn it. You got to somehow prove to God you deserve it. Let me help you. None of us deserve salvation. God gave it to us. Nobody under Jesus' ministry, all sinners, none of them deserve to be healed. But everyone that believed it, guess what they got? Healing. Not because they deserved it. See, God didn't make it hard. He made it easy. We think, we, we think it might be hard simply because we haven't chose to do what we need to do to get rid of double-mindedness. But you get rid of double-mindedness and therefore kick doubt out, and guess what? You're going to have no problem believing God. Just get rid of the double-mindedness. Any good amens on that? So the word double-minded, again, I want to remind you about this real quick. The word double-minded here in the Greek language means you are vacillating in opinion or purpose. Vacillating, driven like the winds. Vacillating in opinion or purpose. Listen, you can go from one opinion to thinking God said this to another opinion. to We don't need your opinion. We just need to know what God said. But double-mindedness caused you to go back and forth in this opinion thing. And even in purpose... All of a sudden, you got somebody who learns the word, starts developing, understanding their purpose in God, in the body, in the, in the church, etc. But then they start allowing double-mindedness in. And you know what happens? All of a sudden, they change their view of their purpose. Or their view of their opinion of what the Bible says. That's double-mindedness. It also means you're wavering and you have divided interests. So the number one thing that I want to talk about for just a moment, and then I want to focus on what we're going to zero in on tonight to help you get rid of double-mindedness, help, help you keep it out of your life. We all deal with it. But the number one thing that causes it is this final definition, divided interest. I've watched in 34 years of pastoring, you learn some things just by watching. You know, Jesus learned stuff by watching. Jesus sat in the temple one day, he's watching everybody put money in, in the back in the temple as they're going out the door. And guess what he learned? Here's a little widow. I've got one in my office. They're tiny, tiny, tiny. Here's a little widow that gave two mites. And Jesus, watching, learned something. She gave more than all the rest of them put together. And a lot of them were wealthy people. You know why? Because by the Holy Spirit, he knew those two mites was all she had left. You listening? Well, why did he say she gave more than all the rest? Because he don't go by amount. He goes by percent. 
She gave all she had left. All the rest of them, they just kind of gave out of their overflow. What little, you know, they wanted to give of extra of, of amount, obviously far more than what she gave in amount, but not the same in God's view of what she gave in relationship to her giving. So even Jesus learned stuff by just watching people. Well, I've learned some stuff by watching people as a pastor. You learn some stuff. And sadly, I've learned that many can start off in the body of Christ in a situation where I've watched people come into our church hurting. We want them to come. Needing help. Needing to things, see things turned around in their life, their marriage, their finances, whatever. We start teaching the Word of God. They start for the first time saying, wow, this is what God wants for my life. This is how God says to do it. Okay, all right. Praise the Lord. And all of a sudden, you see them so hungry for what God has available for their life and for God that, all, that everything else takes a back seat. Amen. They used to have an interest in all the things of the world. But now all of a sudden, Amen. their interest shifts over to God. Yep. You with me? Yes. So what does their focus become? God. God. Next thing you know, it's all about getting to church. Yep. It's all about getting in the Word, fellowshipping with God. It's not a religion. No. It's a relationship. They begin to learn these things. How many remember back in the days you first started learning stuff you'd never heard and how that began to change your life? Anybody remember? They they begin to learn these things. They get excited. They begin to exercise their trust in God and belief in God, but they're no longer divided interests. They've turned away from the world because guess what? The world hasn't been able to help them. Their marriage is hurting. Their kids are hurting. Their finances are bad. Or, or in, even in the case maybe their finances aren't bad, guess what? They're, they're, frustra- they're frustrated. They're under stress. They're fearful. They're tormented. All these different things that goes on in the world. You have lots of money and be the most frustrated, uh, stressed out person on the planet. Well, everybody deals with stress. Jesus didn't. Paul didn't. Paul went through all kinds of stuff. Light afflictions. Light afflictions. Guess what he did? He lived a stress-free life. It shocks Christians. You say, oh, you can live a stress-free life. You know, Christians will tell you that ain't true. Well, the Bible said it is. Yes, Who you want to believe? I'm believing my God. How about you? I said, how about you? So what happens? They no longer have sort of an interest in God and still an interest in the world. They get so hungry for God, the, the, the world gets put behind them. And now it's all about God. And you know what happens when they start walking in this undivided focus on God and getting rid of, divi- uh, getting rid of double-mindedness and doubting God and they start trusting Him? Guess what happens when you start releasing faith? Golly, Gomer, it goes to work. Yeah. Yeah. Gomer starts seeing some change. Gomer starts seeing it work. Now, all of a sudden, their finances start changing. Their marriage starts changing. The situation with their kids start changing. But as they start getting to, quote, unquote, experience more of the blessings of God on their life, guess what all of a sudden they start doing? They start turning back to looking to all the things now that they didn't have. Relationship to the aspects of everything from, you name it, vehicles to homes to money to success to, you know, uh, uh, even in the case of status from other people because now they're successful in what they're doing, whatever. And guess what happens? They start going back to divided interests. And when they start going back to divided interests, you know what happens? Double-mindedness sets in. And as that starts setting in, guess what? The, and they, don't, they wouldn't admit it because they've already learned and understand that doubt is a, is a detrimental thing to my faith. And if you ask them, are you doubting? What do you think they're going to tell you from the head? No. But if they really weren't, wouldn't it still be working? Sure it would. Absolutely it would. God didn't change. I said, God didn't change. Come on, help me out. God didn't change. 
Malachi, Malachi chapter 1, God said, I am the Lord, I don't change. I don't change. So what changed? You went from actually having divided interests. Look at this progression. Divided interests at the start, and that world's not helping me anymore. I'm putting that behind. God becomes first. I mean, I could tell you, I'm not going to, but I could tell you story after story after story of people that I know in my life, family members, church family that have come and gone, who saw, who saw this work, who began to see it work. But I watched it as a pastor. I watched as they began to see this work for them, and all of a sudden, blessings began to increase, things began to increase in their life. I began to watch this. You know what happened? You know what happened? They went from coming into the church, starting off a little to being never missing a service, showing up for everything going on, want to learn everything I can, to now all of a sudden, I know it all. I'm now caught back up with the things of the world. I don't have time for church anymore. I don't have time for reading my Bible. I don't have time for these things. I don't have time for men's meeting. I don't have time to be discipled. I got other stuff to do. Look at what all I have now that God's blessed me with. What happens? Divided interest set back in. They go from divided interest to single focus, God. They get rid of doubt. You listening? They get rid of doubt. Faith starts working. And they start seeing the results. And all of a sudden when the results start coming, guess what they don't do? They don't guard their life. I guess going back to what? Divided interest. So one of the definitions of the term of double-minded, you have divided interest. You can't love the world and love God. You can't serve the world and serve God. Jesus said so. I didn't say it. I mean, you throw stuff at me if you want. I'm okay with that. But I didn't say it. Jesus said it. He said, you can't love the world and love God. Not possible. Can't serve the world and, you can't, and serve God. Not, you can't do both. It's not possible. Doesn't work that way. Amen? Amen? But Christians seem to think that they can do it somehow. And it's this divided interest and even relationship to what they're focused on in life. Listen, hey man, I've watched it happen in marriages where marriages started flourishing and getting better. But now you know what? Instead of church like it used to be every single Sunday, it's now family time. Oh, I, I can give you, oh, I can give you so many examples of this happening. And all of a sudden the marriage starts deteriorating again. Why? Because now you're getting back into a place of double-mindedness. Doubt rises up. You're no longer walking in trust and faith in God. Therefore, you're not doing marriage the way God said. Well, it worked for a while, but they're the problem. No, you're both the problem. I know nobody ever who has marriage problems ever, ever has two people that are the problem. It's always one problem in their view that that's not true. Tell your neighbor, I'm pretty good, but I'm not that great. Praise God. Amen. You, you might be pretty good at what you do, but none of us are that great that we're not the problem ever. I'll get off of that. I'll get off of that or I'll have to be doing marriage counseling after the service tonight. I want you, I want you to see this. You cannot continue to live with divided interests and not be double-minded and therefore affect your faith in God. Your brain knows to say, I believe God, but do you really believe him in your heart like you used to? Because, folks, I'm telling you, when I watch people get rid of this divided interest, I'm watching them get through a week when they don't even in the natural have enough money coming in to pay their bills, but God. And they're watching God do it again and again and again and again. And an increase starts coming. Then they start getting their faith back in their money instead of the God who brought them through all that. 
You listening? You can say what you want. I, I, I've lived this stuff, so nobody's going to convince me otherwise. But I'm going to tell you right now, folks, you can walk in such a faith in God. I had a friend. How many remember Lonnie Gray? Lonnie was such a good friend. Lonnie and I are out cutting wood, you know, to make some extra money. And Lonnie was so bad about never stopping and filling up his gas tank. Horrible. And, and I mean, we'd, we'd be running on vapor fumes most of the time, you know, pretty close to almost empty every time, everywhere we go. And I tell him, you need to stop, fill up the gas tank, man. Come on, we need to get some gas in this thing. Oh, I ain't got time, ain't got time. Well, one day, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and we're bringing a bunch of wood back in, and I mean, this thing's been running on an empty for a while, and it just dies. And he pulls over off to the side of the road, and he's pumping us, trying to try to start. I said, it ain't going to start. He said, man, and it's cold, it's winter, man. Well, I got to get out and go get some gas. I said, I sure ain't. <laughs> I've been the one telling you the whole time to put gas in the truck. But I heard a story of a guy named Glenn Smith who was the first guy beside Coy side by side him to go full-time as evangelist to the rodeo world. He wrote a book called Apostle Cowboy Style. And this guy actually wound up in a situation, didn't know, ran out of gas, believed God. You can say what you want. I didn't do this. But he literally, just to kind of walk it out in his mind and faith, he went out and opened up. Remember the old gas cans on the side of the truck, you know? Not like these tucked away behind a door. You know, it was right there. He took it off, stuck his finger, and said, God, Jesus' name, I, I, I'm asking you to get gas in this tank somehow. I'm miles and miles away from town. I believe, God, you'll get this truck started. Put it back on started. I heard that story in that book. Yeah. <clears throat> and I looked at Lonnie, and I said, well, we got two choices. You're going to walk for gas, which is a long ways away. <laughs> or I believe I, can believe I believe I can put faith in God. He'll get us where we need to go, even because, even beyond your stupidity. <laughs> Of not stopping and getting gas. He said, you think he'll do it? I said, I don't think. Now, I'm serious. I wasn't joking. I said, I don't think. I know he will. You know why? Listen, I know he cares about you, but I know he don't want me walking out there freezing. Because I didn't do this. So, so I know he'll be gracious enough, praise God, to get us through this. So I said, just bow your head. So he bowed his head. I said, Father, in Jesus' name, please forgive Lonnie for not doing what he should have done. Serious. He should, have done, he should have filled the tank. But I'm asking you, we're miles, Lord, we're miles from the next gas stop. Would you please help us get this vehicle running and get us to the next gas stop? I think it was like, I don't know, 15, 20 miles away. is a long way. So I said, Jesus, and he tried to start it, I don't know how many times. And, and I mean, there's nothing. The, the gauge is as low as could be. And we opened the tank, couldn't drop the thing, nothing in there. And so I just said, in Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Amen. I said, start the truck. I said, you think it'll start? I said, No! No, I don't think it will. No. I know it will. Amen. You can say I'm crazy. You can say whatever you want. But I didn't walk that day. No. Amen. Praise God. And Lonnie didn't have to walk that day. <laughs> he looked at me a second time. You sure? I said, turn the key or get out of the seat and let me start the truck. And he turned the key and it fired right up. Amen. Now, guess what he did? He wasn't a guy in faith. Guess what he did? Oh, he threw it in drive and took off. <laughs> We got to get somewhere. I said, slow down. We got plenty of gas. We're going to get there. A gauge shows nothing. I said, who do you think just started the truck? <clears throat> Your choice. How do you get to that kind of faith? You don't get there with divided interest. You listening? You got to be consumed with the things of God. He is your primary focus. So as we talked about this morning, go to Mark 11. As we talked about this morning as an example, remember Martha and Mary? Yes. 
So what must we do? We must put God's word in front of everything else in our life. Because you are going to continue to maintain divided interests if you don't put the word of God first above everything else. But when you do, as we showed through Martha and Mary's example, when you actually put the word of God first, not only to receive it and hear it, but to put it in application as well, <clears throat> guess what? You're going to see help from heaven. You're going to see help from heaven. So in Mark chapter 11, in this context of Mark chapter 11, Jesus here was talking about an example of what happened. It wasn't him talking about an example. It actually happened about a fig tree that they passed. They're in the area of Jerusalem. He's going to the temple. I've been there. I've been actually on this side of this hill where he was at, coming out of where they were from Bethany. You go down this little hillside. It's not far. You go down through what they call the Kidron Valley, which is not really a valley. It's kind of like a little dip, you know. You go through what they call the Kidron Valley. And when you come up this other side, there's a bunch of tombs on this side of the temple that actually have a lot of the old kings buried there. And that side of the actual temple gate is all cemented in. When Jesus comes back, after we are raptured out of here and come back after the tribulation period, he's going to walk right through that gate. But that's why you go down, you go around that to the south side to go up into the area where the temple gate is, where Jesus stood on the steps and went up to the temple. So he goes one morning, they're going back to Jerusalem to go preach the word, and he's hungry. And he sees a fig tree, say fig tree. And it has leaves on it, meaning that if it has leaves on it, then it should have figs under it. That was a sign that it should have figs. He walks up the tree, lifts up the leaves. This was also prophetic of Jerusalem of the day. He lifts up the leaves, but guess what? No fruit. In appearance, it looked like it had something. Like all the Jews, you whitewashed sepulchers. But lifting it, nothing there. So he lifted up, no fruit. Guess what Jesus did? He said, let no man eat fruit of you again. Now let me tell you what Jesus never did. He never looked back at that tree again. Not one time. Bible says they went on into Jerusalem. Did it die instantly? No. They went to Jerusalem. He preached that day. That evening, it says later in the evening, they went back to Bethany. Well, guess what they did? They walked back by the tree. There had to be no change because if there had been, the disciples would have recognized it then. But the next morning they get back up. They're going back into, into Jerusalem. As they're coming by, guess what? It says they, the disciples, now recognize the tree's dead. And Jesus said, did you not know the moment I spoke that it began to die from the roots up? And then he gives you and me this actual uh, teaching that we've heard many, many times in Mark 11 about us doing the same thing, walking in the faith of God. Watch this. In verse 20, in the morning, they, they passed by the tree. They saw that it was dead from the roots. Peter, remembering this, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree, which you curse is wither away. Well, Jesus never looked back at it. No. Why? He had no doubt in his heart. 22, he answered and said to them, have what? Have faith in God. Now that actually, that phrase is incorrect. Exactly right. It means have the God kind of faith or the faith like God has. Watch, 23, for assuredly, that's an absolute. How can you look at the words of Jesus and deny what Jesus said? Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, whoever, say whoever. Whoever says to this mountain, any obstacle that is in your way between you and what God has for your life. Notice, be removed, be cast into the sea. Does not what? Tell me. Does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says, what you say, will be done. Underline it. He will have whatever he says. 
24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, do what? Believe you receive them. What's your part? Believe you receive them. What's God's part? You will have them. Yes. Who's going to see to it you have it? God will. Is your part to see you have it? No. That's, that's where heaven's help kicks in. What's my part? Believe I receive it. What can I not do? Doubt in my heart. What is doubt in the heart caused by? Double-mindedness. Double-mindedness. So first and foremost, number one, we, got, we shared this with you this morning. To not be double-minded, I have to get in a position in my life, like Mary, where the Word becomes a priority in my life. Because the only way I can believe in my heart what God wants for my life is i got to know what He has said. If I don't know what God has said, how can I believe? I mean, all these prayers that have ever been prayed, God, if it be your will, heal this person. No healing is going to happen because you don't even know if it's his will or not. There's no faith released in that. You got to believe you receive when you pray. How can you believe you receive healing for somebody when you're saying if it's your will or not? Well, Jesus prayed that way, not for healing. It was a dedication prayer and fulfilling the will of God to go to the cross. Had nothing to do with the promises of God. Nothing at all. So you and I got to believe we receive where? In our heart. What can we not do? Doubt. If we have no doubt in our heart, guess what kicks in? Guess what kicks in? Heaven's help. You're releasing faith. If you have no doubt and you release faith, guess what kicks in? Heaven's help does. I believe God does. I believe God does. If I believe I receive, God says I'll have it. Who does the having part? God does. Who does the believers that I receive part? I do. So how do I do this? So number one, to get rid of double-mindedness, you've got to make the Word of God your primary focus and attention because you can't have faith in God for something you don't know He said. This is why Mary would not be moved from the feet of Jesus. She is going to soak up and take up everything Jesus is teaching and saying because she knows this is the Son of God. This is God's Word being spoken. I want to hear what God has to say for my life. Martha got distracted, remember? Divided interests. Double-minded. And she got up from the feet of Jesus and walked around trying to serve everybody. Then even came back and said, Jesus, don't you care? Excuse me? Don't you care? I'm left to serve alone. Let me tell you what's far more valuable than a little bit of food. Those little tidbits you're handing out. The Word of God. <clears throat> Living and powerful. Full of power. Able to bring faith and change anything about your life. Mary knew it. And Jesus said, I'm not going to make her get up and help you out. No, she's chosen the good thing. Right? One thing is needed, she's chosen that. What's the one thing that's needed? I have to make sitting under the Word of God and receiving God's Word a priority in my life. If I, if I don't, how am I going to know what to believe for? You won't. You won't. Even if you've heard it time and again, you've got to keep sitting under the Word. Could I get a better amen? Now go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. So we talked about, this was an old review, of course. We didn't show those verses this morning. I referred to them. Go to Ephesians 5. So how do I get rid of double-mindedness? The Word must become your sole source of what you believe and therefore what you speak and act upon. you got to put the Word above everything else in your life and make it a priority, just like Mary. If the Word of God is not going to be a priority, you're going to have divided interests. In this world, ladies and gentlemen, the devil will do everything he can to try to get you to be double-minded. To get you in a position of being double-minded, he's getting you now to doubt God's Word. And if he can get you to do that, he knows he can stop it from working in your life. What must I do? Get rid of double-mindedness. How do I do that? The Word becomes a priority. 
And as I sit and hear the word or go to it myself, every single thing God says, stop reasoning it out. Stop questioning it. You take it for face value and you say, if God said it, that settles it. Period. I don't care. See, a lot of people instead, again, double-mindedness. Yeah, but you know sister so-and-so. Here you go. You're being double-minded. You're going by somebody else's experience thrown in with the word. And the Bible tells you very clearly God cannot lie. So you're going to go by sister so-and-so, but she was a good saint. She loves God. She believed God. How do you know she believed God? Do you know everything about her heart? The Bible says you can't. So you don't know whether or not she was truly in faith or not. might have looked to you like she was. But she must have, she either had some doubt in her heart, right? Or something else hindering, sad to say. But it doesn't change God's word. You got to make the decision that no matter what happens in the life that I face or deal with. Well, I happen to know people say they're faith people. This don't work for them. Well, I'll guarantee you what, faith always works. You might think they're faith people, but somewhere they're missing it. Faith is a spiritual law, the Bible says. Just like in natural laws, the actual context, quote-unquote, uh, aspect of gravity is a natural law. Faith is a spiritual law, right? Because right after the service, I'll prove it to you. We're all going to go up to the roof, babies excluded. And we're going to jump off the roof, and we're going to see if we all hit the ground. And guess what? Not one of us is going to float through the air. You know what's going to happen? 100% we're all going down to the ground. You know why? It's a law. It's a natural law God put in the earth. What if he wouldn't have? You'd be floating out there in space somewhere. The Bible calls faith a law. It is a spiritual law. It works by the operation of the law of faith. You can't doubt or the law of faith doesn't work. So you can't go by what you see or what others have had happen. If you're going to do that, what are you going to do? Be double-minded. You're going to doubt in your heart. Can't do that. So what else do we need to do, Pastor, besides making the word a priority, accepting it above everything else? You need to continually wash yourself with it. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 5, right in the midst of God here, talking about marriage, he throws in something significant here relating to the church. He's actually talking about even the context of the church he's coming back to get when he comes to rapture the church away. If you don't believe in the rapture, you don't believe in Noah's Ark, and you don't believe in Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Because all through the history of the earth, God does stuff in patterns. I'm sad to say there are going to be a lot of people left behind when the rapture takes place. Well, I don't believe in the rapture. Okay, that's, that's fine if you don't want to believe in it. The Bible does teach it. The Bible's clear about it. The Bible, God has always, always removed the righteous before judgment comes. Why? We're to escape the wrath to come. Can I get a better amen? But in that first three and a half years of tribulation, there are going to be believers left behind. Thus saith the Bible. You don't have to be. I'm not going to. Jesus' name. I'm going to be ready. How about you? That's why Jesus warned us over and over and over again about being ready. So right in the midst of Ephesians 5 here, 22 down through verse 33, talking about marriage, notice what he says about the church. 25. Go to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also does what? Love the church. And he did what? What did Jesus do? <clears throat> Gave himself for, so should husbands. 26, for their wives. Notice this, that he... Jesus might sanctify, set apart, set apart, set apart from this world, set apart from doubt, set apart from unbelief, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. Who her? The church. The born again believers. Well, I thought I'm already cleansed. Your spirit is. But this isn't talking about your spirit. He will sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water 
by the word. See, it couldn't be him cleansing the church if it wasn't already the church. They're already the church. They're born again. Their spirit was cleansed. What, what needs to take place now? You need to bathe your mind every day. If you want to walk in a position of not being double-minded and doubting God, you better start washing your mind with the Word of God every day. Because everything about this world is to cause you to doubt God. Notice what he's going to do. How's he going to sanctify and cleanse her, the church, with the washing of water by the Word, 27, that he might do what? Present her, the church, to who? Himself. A what? Underline A glorious church. A God-overflowing church. Not having what? Spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy and without what? Blemish. Do you know the Bible even tells us in the book of Jude there are believers that, are ha- that have spots and blemishes? They're believers. They're born again. Their spirit doesn't, but their life does. So how do we keep this quote-unquote double-mindedness out of our life? One, the Word of God is priority. Above everything else, you take the Word of God at face value, and you consistently stay under the teaching of the Word and go into Scripture. Two, the second thing you must do is do what? Keep washing your mind with it. Got to wash your mind with it. That's more than casual reading. You listening? That's more than just hearing it preached. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God preached. What must I do is I go spend time with God in the Word of God. Let it wash your mind. How do I let it wash my mind? you got to examine every thought contrary to what that word says, and you got to wash that thought away with the word of God. Right. you got to take the word, wash your mind of every wrong thought, of everything contrary. I'm going to show you one more verse in closing. you got to wash your mind of everything contrary to what the word says, because if you don't wash your mind of those thoughts, it's not just reading it that's going to wash your mind. I've known people that have been devoted readers of the Bible, but they still doubt God. Why? They don't wash their minds with the Word. They just read it as a religious exercise. That's not washing your mind with the Word. You listening? I mean, to go and read the Bible in a way that's not allowing it to wash your mind is to go actually stand in your, in your bathroom, turn your shower on. You don't get in it. Turn your shower on. You watch it run. You turn your shower off. You say, I took a shower, but you never got under the water. You can read the Bible. Turn the shower on. Never get under the water. Turn the shower off. Stop reading your Bible. Never get washed. You listening? You got to let this word do what? Wash your mind. You need your mind washed from the context of the world and divided interests because that will help you do what? Eliminate doubt in your heart. So he says that he is going to use the washing of the water of the word to do this so he can present to himself a glorious church. What's a glorious church? Let me help you. It's not just a God-filled church. You know what else it is? It's a faith-filled church. Go to 2 Corinthians 10 in closing. So how, pastor, when I read the Bible and even then go throughout my day, how do I wash my mind with the word of God? You are so smart. You ask the best questions. That's what I love about this church family. You always know what to ask next. You always do. Second Corinthians chapter 10. You can't just casually read it. We've told you many times. What's the Bible? The Bible's me getting to sit down and spend time with God. Now let me help you. God's smarter than you. Amen. Anybody believe that in here? If your hands not up, I need to pray for you. Because you don't believe God's smarter than you, then either you just don't believe in God or you're just really deceived. I think he knows a little more than us. I think that's good. If he knows more, guess who I need to get help from? The one who knows more. Hallelujah. And he'll give it. 
if we'll just simply do what? By biblically humble. Humbling yourself don't mean demote yourself, demean yourself. No, it just means you do these things to receive the help that God offers, including doing what? Getting rid of double-mindedness. So to do that, to wash my mind with the word, I can't just read through it. Oh, I read my three verses, my, see my three chapters today. I'm good to go. You got no washing of that. You stood and turned the water on and watched it run and turned it off and ran out of the house. You got to take time to stop and step in the shower and get wet. Get some soap out and lather yourself a little bit. Come on. I said, come on. A little shampoo on the hair there don't hurt. Right? Be sure to get the navel. Come on, get the toe jam. Get in between the toe. You got you to take time to really wash yourself to get. But the word will do this work if you'll let it. So when we actually come to the Bible to wash ourselves with the word, what must we do? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, even though we live in this fleshly physical body, we don't war according to the flesh. Who's trying to get us to doubt? The devil is. The battle's on. And if he can get you to be, quote unquote, double-minded, he can get you to doubt God. So the battle's on. He's working to do everything he can to keep you from washing yourself with the word and getting rid of double-mindedness and making the word your primary source of everything you believe. Amen? Amen. So notice this. Even though we walk in the flesh, we're not warring according to the flesh. For, for the weapons of our warfare are not what? Carnal. What are they? Mighty. Mighty in God. What are they for? You got to realize this, folks. You, you got to understand this. When you have divided attention, a lot of times that other aspect of what your attention is being drawn to is a stronghold. Yeah. It's trying to take a stronghold on the way you think and not let you just totally trust God. But thank God we got weapons to deal with it. What, what are those weapons? In this context, primarily the Word of God. See this Bible right here? Think about all the scriptures I'm holding in my hand that relate to what you have in Christ. You know what all those scriptures are? Weapons. Where's your weakest area? Guess what you can go find? Weapons to deal with that. But what do we got to do to get rid of this double-mindedness to eliminate doubt and trust God? You got to wash your mind with a word there. So we got to recognize these strongholds in our life and realize that the weapons of God's word is what pulls them down. Once again, what's that? Heaven's help. What do we got to do? Verse 5, casting down arguments. Bad translation. This is not you and me arguing, although in a sense it kind of is. But the, the word there is reasoning. God says one thing, we start reasoning it out. Well, I know God's word said that. Bad thing to say. Bad thing to say. But what? If God said it, that's all you need to know. But see, some of these things have a stronghold in our life. We've thought this way for so long. But thank God we can do what? Get that part of our brain washed with the word and get it washed away. So what do we got to do? He said, you have to take these weapons, the word of God, five, casting down what? Reasonings and every high thing or that which exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is what God says. Once you find out what God says about it, you have the knowledge of God. Anything that tries to get you to go contrary to that in your thinking... What must you do? Go find scripture and wash your brain in that area to say, nope, I don't care how long it takes, praise God. How do I wash my brain? You cast down these reasonings and all these quote-unquote arguments that exalt itself against the knowledge of God by bringing what? Every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, what Jesus did for you. 
what Christ did for you. How do I do that, Pastor? How do I actually wash myself with the word? You ready? With your mouth. Here's your little shower spout. You take God's word and you start speaking it over your life. You start declaring it over your life. The Bible says that the word of God is near you in your heart, but it first got there how? By getting it in your mouth. And if you start speaking the word of God over your life and saying, I don't care, brain, what you say. I don't care what this person said. I don't care what that relative said. This is what God said. That's what I said. And you start saying it. And you start saying it and you start. And as you do it, guess what you're doing? You're washing your brain. And as you wash yourself with the word, what are you doing? You're countering all these quote-unquote reasonings going contrary to the word. Trying to, why is these things trying to exalt themselves above the word? Divided interest. Double-minded. You still know what the word says, but this thing has got itself exalted up in your thinking as well. Double-minded. What does it cause? Doubt in the heart. Where there's doubt in the heart, guess what you can't get? Heaven's help. But you can get rid of it. Wash your mind with the word. Now, I would encourage you to do that daily. I don't know where to start. No problem. Really, really easy. Let me help you. If you go to take a shower and you notice that your arms are like all greasy and dirty and nasty, but the rest of your body's pretty clean, let me tell you what you focus on. Your arms. You don't go wash your toes if they're nice and squeaky clean and your arms are all greasy and dirty. You listening? What do you focus on? The part that's dirty. Well, what do you focus on to wash yourself with the Word of God primarily to begin with? Where is your weakest area in trusting God? That ain't hard to figure out. Where do I struggle the most in trusting God? Guess what you need to do? Go to the Word, find out what the Word says about it, and do what? Get the Word out with the soap and start doing what? Speaking that over your life and meditating on it. And as you're doing, guess what you're doing? You're washing that unbelief and doubt off of your life. And you're getting rid of double-mindedness. And when you do, guess what's going to happen? Well, people say faith will rise. No, faith's already there. The honest truth is, here's what you're doing. You're hooking up with your faith. What are you doing? You're getting rid of the doubt. You listening? If if my arms are all dirty, guess what? My arms are already there. I'm not creating arms by washing with the word. You listening to me? I'm not creating. I'm not creating an arm by washing with the word in the context of a soap. What am I doing? I'm getting the dirt off. You listening? Right. You already got faith in you. That's right. That's right. What's the problem? Doubt's on top of that. Right. What do I got to do? Wash myself with the word, get the doubt off, and guess what I'll have? Faith rises up. Right. And what do you receive? Heaven's help. Amen. Heaven's help. If you don't wash your mind with the word of God, relating to the stuff that God has for your life, guess what? You'll stay double-minded. You could be double-minded in one area, not another. But one thing, as we talked about at the start of this deal, you can't live your life with divided interests in love with the world and things of the world and not be totally sold out and in love with Jesus and expect not to have double-mindedness. You're going to have double-mindedness. The world is see to that. Any good amens on that? So in wrapping up this fourth point, I cannot have divided interests. I can't be in love with the world, love of God. I've got to make coming to the Word of God a priority in my life, meaning that when I come to the Word of God and I see what God says, guess what? The, the issue's over with. It's settled. If I find out what God says about a subject, I don't care what Aunt so-and-so went through. I don't care what Bob went through. I don't care what Mary went through. I don't care what Tom went through. I don't care what I may have gone through in my past. I don't care what I see. I don't care what I hear. I don't care what I feel. If God said this, that's it. And I keep focused on getting my attention on that word to say, that's what God said. That's what I believe. 
Are you listening? And then to wash myself in those areas that I struggle with, I start declaring it over my life. This is you, Daryl. This is who you are. Well, not really because I don't feel that way. This is who God said you are. See, the dirt's trying to fight back. It wants to hang on. But you got to do what? What do you got to do? You got to take that word and keep speaking God's word over your life until you do what? Until you get all that dirt off. And you keep doing that and wash all that stuff off. And guess what's going to happen? Double-mindedness is going to go away. Doubt's going to leave. And faith's going to rise. And God's going to help you. Because you've cleansed your heart of being double-minded. Cleanse your heart of doubt, and that is caused by being double-minded. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.